My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life, and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. We're in disruptive times here in the coaching world, with a massive acceleration of coaches being trained, a plethora of new digital coaching platforms like BetterUp, CoachHub, and Ezra, and new non-human digital coaching experiences like the firm where I'm part-time chief coaching officer, CultureLab. And then on top of that, we've got ChatGPT, Bard, and a myriad of other AI platforms landing and expanding. Can they reproduce a human coach? Well, today's guest is going to help figure it all out and whether a bot can ever reproduce the life-changing power of an unlock moment. I certainly hope not. Today's guest, Sam Isaacson, is an enthusiastic coach tech thought leader, as well as being an active coach and coach supervisor. He writes a popular LinkedIn newsletter and has written two books on the topic, How to Thrive as a Coach in a Digital World and Superhuman Coaching. He's the founder of the Coach Tech Collective, a global community of coaches grappling with technology and works closely with the big coaching professional bodies on the development of thinking around technology and ethics. He's chair of the Coaching Professional Apprenticeship, the biggest coaching qualification in England. With a background in professional services and a disruptive global coaching technology startup, he's the first person to have delivered executive coaching in virtual reality. His coaching consultancy practice, Coach Tech Limited, based in London, supports clients with a particular focus on maturing organizational coaching ecosystems and enhancing coaching using technology through coach development, coaching supervision, and advisory projects. Let's go virtual. Sam Isaacson, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Gary, thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here. Thank you. We've been planning this for a while, and we've had a few conversations about what on earth is going on with ChatGPT and can we reproduce coaching in, on a mobile phone in an app um, with, with some of these models? So I think it's going to be really interesting to explore that through the conversation today. Now, beginnings are important. And more and more, as I'm developing my thinking on this unlock moment, I'm realizing how this question is an important lens on people's deepest underlying sense of purpose. Where do we need to start in your story to understand the person you are today? Um. I think there are many, many places that we could go back to, but let's uh, go sort of midway through my 20s where following university, I'd sort of stumbled into working in professional services firms. I tried to sort of collect the whole set of going around the big four and the the numbers five and six as well, um, working as a technology risk consultant, which is, to be honest, a job that I didn't even know existed when I was at university and so sort of ended up in that role. And that's, that's I suppose, a good place to start, yeah. And you, and you were interested in leadership at an early stage in your career? Yes, I always sort of treated leadership development as my hobby. So 
I, I enjoyed reading fiction books as well, still do, except, you know, the sort of thing that would distract me while I was on the tube on the way home or something like that would be reading a leadership book or watching an interesting TED talk or something like that. So it had always captured my mind as something that is a, a helpful and interesting use of my downtime, really. And where did that come from at first? Who are the leaders that you first sort of saw in your life as, as, as leaders that maybe you were inspired by or looked up to? Um, I, I don't really want to go with all of the classics. You know, I think everybody finds some of these characters inspiring in some way. I think I'll go probably the, the first name that I sort of associated myself with in terms of my thinking around leadership was John Maxwell, who's written more books on leadership than everybody else combined. And everyone seems to have an acronym in it. And they're all saying the same thing, but that doesn't make a difference, you know. They're all interesting. And at the position in my career that I was at, the point that I was reading a lot of those, I was in that sort of assistant manager, you know, first time in a, being a true manager sort of role. And having that idea that leadership is influence and therefore, you know, you're able to lead regardless of where you are in an organization really was a powerful thought for me. And I found it good to you know, codify some of what I was thinking about what's the best way to act within an organization to have a positive influence and, and uh, you know, act well within it, I suppose. It's always striking to me how people's views of leadership are so influenced by their first exposure to, to leadership. I think for me, you know, I, 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 I was at medical school and I think I didn't I didn't associate what I was seeing in the medical world as leadership in a funny kind of way, because it was just how that world was. There was a hierarchy, there were roles, there were job titles, there were, you know, uniforms, you know, whether in doctors or in nurses or in other allied professions. And, and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't leadership in the way that you sort of see in, in more in the commercial world or, or maybe in the public sector where the leading bit is itself a job. You know, in the, in the medical profession, the person in the most senior role is the most experienced, is the most expert, is the person who ultimately asks, answers the most difficult questions, most typically. Or in, in, in a science lab, it's kind of the same. The professor is the person that is, 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 is the brainiest person in the room often. Um, and I think I, I was probably in my early 30s before I really associated the word leadership to, to mean something quite specific. So do you remember, you know, where you were when you first started to see people that you're working with and think, this is leadership, this is, or this is good leadership, or even bad leadership? Well, my being in professional services, you know, it was a lot of accountants surrounding me. And the, the way to get yourself into a senior position was to know more than everybody else and to work harder. And so I definitely recognized I suppose partly because of the sort of stuff that I was reading at the time, that those people who had got the senior sounding job titles weren't necessarily exhibiting what I would have thought of as leadership qualities. So they were good at the technical aspects, but the ones that did recognize what it means to cast a vision and to have empathy and to listen to people and take people on a journey, they were the ones who really stood out to me. There was a moment reasonably early on in my career, you know, I'd have been assistant manager sort of role, who sort of recognized something slightly different about what I was, or the way I was thinking uh, 
in that I was in an IT audit team and I was the one that liked to think creatively and about uh, what could be a new way of solving this problem and other people who are IT auditors as a general rule like to stick the way that things are written in the book and he sort of offered me this opportunity you know if you work with me I know you're difficult to manage but I'll sort of ring fence you and then we can work together and that felt like oh you know it's a, somebody values me <laughs> and that was yeah that that was a good example of that I suppose interesting the the uh, the equation of um uh, creative uh, problem solver and difficult to manage <laughs> when he said difficult <laughs> <Yeah>. to manage <laughs> What do you think he was really uh, noticing in you? Well, I think we were just talking before we came on about uh, about personality assessments and identifying how uh, that as a particular trait of certain people, you know, challenging upwards, and that there were a particular couple of moments where I just didn't understand what I was doing, to be honest, where the person who was more senior to me was saying, you need to make this change in the work. We're making the, a bad a recommendation to our client and I just didn't understand why we were changing it the original recommendation I'd came up with seemed like it was relevant and accurate and I didn't understand it then to be honest I know that you know all of the detailed content I still don't understand it now <laughs> and I wouldn't let go of it I didn't want to just do what I was told and sort of conform I wanted to really get into well, why why are we making these recommendations in this particular way and this this other people manager had a slightly different view of that and thought, oh, you know, it's possible to think differently. I'm laughing because this week I, I, I was doing some training for a particular psychometric assessment called the Hogan assessment. And as part of that, I did my own Hogan assessment. Um, and the questions were a bit odd. And the outcome was really accurate. And uh, one of the things the outcome said, which anybody I've ever reported into will um will assert this is true. It said, you are a person highly likely to challenge your boss. And, and it's, it's always been the thing that I've, that I've, that I've done, um, generally in a, in, in a positive way, but you know, it's certainly sometimes challenging in, in, in the way it happens. Um, but it's, that self-awareness of leadership, I think, is, is, is really interesting. So your unlock moment in this journey, bring us into that time where you suddenly found this clarity about the path ahead. Yeah, so the the general context is that I was working in professional services. So my job was basically go from one organization to another, looking at these technology risk issues, and then produce a report that makes the same sorts of recommendations to every organization because people tend to do the same things, you know. And I'd gone to a, a leadership conference and there was a particular author who was speaking there, whose name I always forget, Patrick Lencioni. Um, we were at five dysfunctions of a team. I'd never heard of him, never read his book. But it, again, it was one of those really simple models that I just looked at and thought, oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I can see that those pieces kind of operate together. But what was interesting to me wasn't necessarily the model. It was the, the way that he talked about what his job was. And he described, oh, you know, that my day-to-day -day looks like me going from one organization to another. I write reports, give them advice around how to improve it. And it's the same issues everywhere you go. And I just thought, that's my job, except yours is really interesting. <laughs> you know, that actually, that it's possible for you to have a job doing, you know, I didn't not enjoy working in technology risk. There's lots about it that's quite interesting. But this leadership idea, the whole psychology absolutely fascinated me. 
And the idea that somebody could have a job that is effectively the same as mine, but on that topic, suddenly gripped me. And I thought, oh, I probably could do something about that then, couldn't I? And remember of all the things that, that you said in that session, was there one thing that stands out to you as a, as a moment or was it just looking at the whole session? It was really his story about his, his day-to-day experience. I can't remember the exact details. I think he had told some story about him going from one building to another and having effectively a repeat of the same conversation, you know, with one team and with another team. And me thinking, you know, something along the lines of, oh, well, this week I've had exactly that same experience. I've talked with one IT team about how they're managing their network perimeter and I've gone to a different one to have the same conversation. And if they would just do what everybody knows is right, <laughs> then, you know, I wouldn't have to have those conversations. And it felt like, yeah, I suppose that the thought that struck me in that moment was, well, I wonder, would I be able to just keep doing the same thing I'm currently doing and just change what I'm talking about? And so that's, I suppose, started the different journey for me. Interesting. So you're applying in many ways, something that you're very experienced at doing, very strong at doing, and you're just putting it in the context of a, of, of a different subject. Um, it resonates for me when, when I, I remember leaving medicine and my first steps into even understanding what this consulting web world was about was going to these kind of taster evenings that some of the consulting firms would, would run in the universities. And, and I, I'd grown up in this world of the more you know, the better you are. So you had a pile of textbooks at the same height as you, and you had supposed to basically inhale all of them and learn every fact in all of them. And suddenly I was going to this evening and we'd spend an hour looking at the cement industry. And I knew obviously nothing about the cement industry. And yet you could start to figure some things out. I mean, you were a deep expert in the cement industry, but you could be in the conversation and you could be thinking about some questions that would be quite interesting. And that blew my mind, the idea that, which means there's a thing that you could do that's pretty interesting and you don't have to have 15 years of experience in it before you can even join the conversation. It's very interesting when people start to see that sort of apply a way of thinking in a new context. Uh, so where did your journey then in leadership start to grow from that point? Well, I think immediately it, it didn't particularly grow. It sort of stumbled around a little bit. And so it was the immediate trigger for me to have a conversation and start to explore what could that look like. And that turned into uh, me getting trained to become a coach. And so I did my coach training at that point. And how did you find coaching? Because coaching, again, is not a thing that a lot of people don't come across coaching until a bit later in their career. What was your first exposure to coaching being a thing that exists? Well, that had, that had pretty much come out of <laughs> this fact that I was difficult to manage <laughs> had led to all kinds of you know different little interactions within the organization that I was with at the time. And one of those happened to be the partner that I was ultimately reporting to saying, Sam, I think you could benefit from having a couple of coaching sessions, which um, basically ended up me concluding that I didn't really need to change all of the things that I was being told I needed to change. I just needed to be myself a bit more. And so it was sort of the, the, the worst parts of my personality were coming out at the wrong moments. 
because I was sort of holding back in order to try to conform. And so I'd kind of gone through that. And so when I then had these conversations after that moment to think, be honest, you know, the, the route that I played it was we're offering this technology risk consulting. And wouldn't it be a lot more sustainable if instead of telling people to change the settings on their firewall, which they kind of need to do, but they sort of already know, what would happen if instead, or as well, we involve that people side of things, you know, the whole psychology of change and being able to challenge back and all that good stuff. Um, and so the natural conclusion based on a group of people who knew nothing at all about people development was, well, that coach seems to know what she's talking about. Why don't you become a coach? <laughs> you might learn something. And so that was me starting on that route. And of course, you know, I loved coaching and it exposed me to a whole new world that I you know, barely knew existed really before that. Um, I don't think I was particularly good at it, but it was good for me. That's very interesting. So many coaches coming into come into coaching from maybe a people background, an HR background, a psychology background. Quite unusual, probably, to come into coaching from a technology background. Um, and you know, is it is it a good assumption that that's kind of the driver? That's one of the drivers of why you've you've ended up years later in this kind of the interface between great coaching and great technology or was it something that you saw in the coaching world that you thought that you know this needs to change if it's going to have more impact where did the technology piece come into the coaching world for you yes so with how long was i doing that for you know i was doing that for a number of years 10 15 years i was sort of immersed in the world of technology risk and governance and assurance and so those ideas were sort of in there and when I started to move increasingly into the world of coaching, people did have the same sorts of topics every so often. People would talk about use of technology. And of course, you know, AI would come up every so often, not nowhere near as much as it comes up nowadays, obviously. And what I noticed in those conversations is the people that were having the conversations either, oh, this is a horrible generalization. I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> it's not, this is not. Yeah, it's not entirely true, but uh, if I say it, it might ring true. The people who were coaches, typically, as you're, you know, you're right, they would have come out of that HR style background. Either seemed to be, I call them gadget geek. They're people who don't particularly understand what's happening with the technology, but they do enjoy new and shiny. And so, when the new iPad comes out, then they get it because it's the new iPad, and so it might have something fun that goes on with it when chat gpt comes available they just go and play with it and it and are already evangelistic about it without necessarily having experimented properly with it oh it just it must be great and that that was a let's say 20 percent of people and 80 percent of people seemed to be oh yeah here we go <laughs> i like alliteration i would call them scared skeptics and so there's a fear that comes out of a technology development that isn't actually grounded in any true information. It's based out of assumptions. And so I'd gone to a couple of coaching events where it felt like there was a conversation that was being had. And it, it was potentially it was a cluster of people who are all saying how bad it's going to be. Or it could be a debate when somebody's saying that it's great and somebody's saying, oh, it's not so great. and We can have an interesting discussion. But as somebody who actually understood some of the technology that was sitting behind this, I thought it's quite obvious that you don't actually understand what's 
what's happening here. You know, people talking about AI becoming conscious and stealing every coach's job everywhere. And this was a you know, this was happening two or three years ago, people having this sort of conversation. And I was thinking, that's that's just not how it works. You know, you <laughs> kind of need to dig a little bit into the detail. And so partly there was this thought growing in the back of my mind that wouldn't it be helpful for the coaching profession for there to be a way, an easy way for people to access information about technology and get educated in a way that makes sense contextually. But clearly, it's not going to be me that does that because, you know, I barely know this coaching thing. You know, if I can just be a good coach, that would probably be a good outcome for me. And then, you know, the stars aligned and it just so happened that Open University Press were looking for an author to write about coaching and technology. And they'd come up with a shortlist, which I think was two people. And I was one of them. And the other person was busy. By luck, I became that person. Half like I mean, you were on you were on the shortlist too. To be fair, a friend of mine years ago uh, he told me the story. He said, um, "I didn't understand Bitcoin. Um, then I did a little bit of research on it, and that was quite interesting. And I thought, what if other people that don't understand Bitcoin could just understand a little bit about it? So they wrote an article on LinkedIn about Bitcoin, and somebody contacted them and said, "As a deep expert in Bitcoin, please will you come and speak at our conference?" And he was like, literally. <laughs> I've done like an afternoon of research and I've written 150 words on the subject. Um, but once he'd written on LinkedIn and somebody picked up and said, well, I really need somebody who knows this Bitcoin thing. And then he became, you know, known as, but not actually an expert in cryptocurrency. So, I mean, for context of people listening, I think, you know, I think of coaching technology and kind of there's sort of four buckets. Maybe there's more than four, but but broadly speaking, you've got not at all technological coaching, which is a coach and their client meeting in a restaurant somewhere, you know, and there's there's pretty much other than, you know, sending a text message to schedule it, it's it's sort of technology free. You know, now many, many coaches are, are familiar and doing a huge amount of their coaching online on a Zoom or Teams, something like that. So kind of level two is I'm simply using basic technology that everyone else is using to deliver my coaching. The third level is what I call, you might have a better word for it, but I call it sort of digital human coaching. So this is when there's an app on your phone and through that app, like the Babylon Medical app or, 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 or others, you've got access to a human coach through interface and there'll be a panel of coaches. And these are, these are platforms like BetterUp and, and, and CoachUp and Ezra, those kinds of things. And now you're starting to have this kind of um, new category of what I call digital non-human coaching, which is taking kind of elements of the coaching philosophy and the coaching questions, but it's very much a self-reflective process um, and a, a bit of a hybrid of learning and coaching. And this is what Cultural Lab, where I'm chief coaching officer, is in, in that space. So, you know, the, the digital coaching platforms are, are now pretty widespread in large organizations and pretty impactful in in what they can demonstrate in terms of impact on engagement or in, impact in, on turnover. But quite an expensive thing to do because you do have a human coach in that process. And then you've, you've got these um, digital non-human coaching platforms where a bit more limited because it's not a human coach, but the cost is dramatically lower because there's no human to, to pay for the coaching session in, in, in the process. And I think this year, literally this year with the advent of ChatGPT and BARD and those kind of large language models, you're going in that digital non-human coaching world to... You know, it's not just 
um, a kind of static set of questions that somebody, everybody has to answer the same questions, you can start to have the semblance of a coaching conversation. One of the reasons why why we first connected was because I was mid writing a blog article, which is basically the machine's going to take over coaching. And and I was writing this article going, you know, these AI models are never going to replace human coaches because humans are so brilliant and we're conscious and all this kind of stuff. And and that is true. And then I thought before I submit the article, I should check that I have not underestimated the capability of ChatGPT. And then I started playing around a very basic way of making ChatGPT into a simple kind of skills coach or um, you know, like soft skills in the workplace. And I was like, I can't write this article because it's surprisingly good. You know, it's not quite human, but it comes up with good questions. If you ask it to just ask questions, it comes up with quite good questions. It comes up with quite sensible things. It's quite ethical, you know. So, so that was kind of my wake-up call to go, crikey, we've got to, you know, get on this bandwagon, if you like. We've got to get on this kind of train. It is moving. Um, and so I spent quite a lot of time in the last few months really thinking about, you know, where there's an opportunity that the AI can supplement coaching, probably not replace coaching, but, but supplement human, human coaching. So, you know, it's kind of a, a, a bit of a context for listeners around the different areas that technology is coming, coming in. What are you seeing, Sam, in terms of some of the most impactful ways that technology is being used in, in the coaching world? So some of the most impactful ways, I'll, I'll quickly... It was a very interesting little four-stage model that you just presented there. I've, I've not heard it presented in that way, and that's quite interesting. I'm going to take that for reflection. I would throw another aspect in there, which would be, well, I'm going to, yeah, why not? I'll call it superhuman coaching, because that's the, my book, which is about this topic, which is about coaching that where you use technology to enhance it. So an example of this, and this is a way where it can be impactful, is I love doing this, use AI-generated artwork live in a coaching session to help a coachee develop a metaphor, which they would never have done without the technology. And as a coach, I'm working with a coachee who has been thinking about something themselves and they bring this topic because they want to deal with it. And then all of the questions I'm asking, they have asked themselves and they've already gone down these routes. I just need a way to break out of that rational thinking. And in the olden days, remember 2019, the olden days when we met in person, <laughs> we would have this little pack of postcards with nice landscapes and pictures of Lego people on them and things. Got one? Yeah, mine's in my drawer here. <laughs> and you'd, yeah, you'd put them out on the table and say, which of these pictures captures your current situation or where you'd like to be or the person or whatever. And people sort of used those, but it wasn't perfect because you couldn't really use it more than a couple of times with a coachee before they went, oh, I knew you were going to ask me this. I'm going to choose the same picture I always choose. And with AI-generated artwork, there's no escaping from it. The prompt that you've used is the thing that's made the picture. So the picture is of your issue. So now you just need to explain why. And that's when the, you know, that nonlinear side of the brain suddenly starts going, oh, yeah, this makes a lot more sense. So can you bring that to life with a, can you bring that to life with a specific example, uh, obviously anonymized, but in a coaching session, you know, what, what happened and what was the picture that came out? Yes. Uh, 
there was somebody I was coaching recently who has, they're going through a significant time of transition in their career and are thinking about what's next. And it, it was exactly as I just described, you know, it felt like I was asking him some questions and he was responding with some sensible answers, which clearly he had rehearsed several times in his mind. And I said, I don't feel like I'm adding much value with this line of questioning. Would you want to play a silly game? And he agreed. And uh, I sort of, I talked him through. So he shared his screen. I sent him the link and uh, we went onto this website. He created this image. And the image that it created was of, he typed into the prompt and it created an image where in the foreground was what looked like a sort of medieval English village. There's a little village green and some houses around the side. It looked re really idyllic, you know. And then as you went further into the distance, there was a large clearing in a forest which had this spire growing out of it. And then right in the very distance was a huge mountain, looked like a volcano with this odd orb on top and then little floating planets or satellites in the sky. A completely surreal image. I mean, it was a proper, you know, sort of thing that Dali would have made. And I just asked him really basic coaching questions about the picture. It's not about him. <laughs> just where are you in this picture? And he immediately knew I'm in that clearing. And I, that's where I've left behind. I keep looking back on the job that I've just lost as this idyllic village because it's very comfortable. And in many ways, you know, I sort of wish that I was back there, but I'm on this journey now. And as I'm looking into the future, I know that I need to get to that mountain. And I can see, and as he's looking at this picture, he's going, oh, I can see that there are these obstacles along the way. And that's okay, because I'll, I just need to make sure I'm bearing in mind, as long as I keep heading in that direction, I'll get to that mountain. And then I'm going, well, what are these, the planet shapes in the sky? What do those represent? Could you go there instead? He says, no, because if I go to the mountain, that's the springboard. So I don't need to get distracted by what could be. I just need to focus on this next thing. And it was just so helpful. His mind clearly knew it, and he just hadn't access. He was like anamnesis, <laughs> just needed the picture to sort of bring himself into that space. So I, I really rate stuff like that. It's a really interesting narrative, actually, and it, and it makes me think about... Somebody asked me this week, we were doing a workshop on the Unlock Moments, and they said, these unlocked moments, they are unexpected, they are sudden, they are remarkable. How do you get to one? You know, what, what's like the recipe to get to one? And I said, well, by the nature of an unlocked moment, it's unexpected, it's sudden, it's remarkable. And I said, but you do see patterns in people um, that find their unlocked moment, if you, you know, if you do what I do and talk to those people who, who, who are having them. Um, and there's something, you know, the first, there's sort of five elements to it. The first element is that you know yourself, that, that you've got a, a level of self-awareness and that continues to build over time. Um, the second is that you're, you're open-minded. And the third, that you're open-hearted. So you're connected in with, you know, optionality and you're also connected in with how you feel about things. And just as you're describing that there, you know, you, you're, you're, you're bringing to life that idea that somebody's using this metaphor, using this image to help them. Um, find clarity about options and choices being here, could be there, got to go on this kind of route, got to go past those obstacles. There's something, the fourth one is something about a risk appetite. So, um, you know, knowing that 
the change is always going to feel a little bit more uncertain than the place you are now, even if the place you are now is not a great place. It's still you know it, better the devil you know. And the fifth one is this one that, that actually, I think, again, plays to the image that feels alone. Um, and I, I call it alone with others. So you are just you, but surrounded by people who love you, care for you, support you, mentor you, all those kinds of things. But at the same time, your decision to move from the clearing to the mountain past the obstacles, only you can take it. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing those kinds of themes when somebody says, yeah, when I had my unlock moment, this is, this is the space that I was in and I was accepting you know, risk. I was, I, was, I was acknowledging that I wasn't feeling great. I was, um, but I did know that there was something in me that was important and I wanted to get to that end goals that kind of knowing yourself comes through. And I find it really interesting in coaching that you can have, as you're describing, sometimes the most random metaphors, but for the person in that moment, it's the most powerful thing to find that sudden clarity. Uh, And I often, when I'm talking about the unlock moment, I, I talk to people and say, before they've had their unlock moment, and the unlock moment is the big one that you remember 20 years later, when they have the unlock moment, Something that had me maybe foggy for a long time suddenly becomes clear and is forever clear. So for that person who knew he was moving out of the clearing, might not know where he's going yet, but he definitely knows that it's not sticking there, you know, and suddenly there's this sort of, you know, emerging clarity. So I think, I think it's really interesting to bring to life how powerful coaching can be and that coaching, there's all sorts of different ways of, of, of coaching. Um, so, you know, a good friend of yours and mine, Jonathan Passmore, um, I heard him do a keynote recently and he said, we are in peak coach, peak coach being there are maybe more trained coaches today than ever before and ever will be again, because there's been this kind of scale up of people going into coaching and then progressively over time, some of the work coaches have been doing in the past will be done either by internal teams within organizations more, more effective, better trained and developed managers, more with a coaching style. And actually some of these kind of technology propositions to do some of the soft skills development and so on and so forth. What's, what's your opinion on, on really what this trajectory looks like over the next five years in the, in the development of coaching? Where do you reckon it's going to go? Well, this is very interesting because I've been, I was writing an article uh, this morning about what does the next 10 years of coaching look like? thinking about technology in particular. I, I think what's happened over the last five years in particular, but it's kind of been going on for a little longer than that, is this whole idea of the democratization of coaching. And you've mentioned a couple of times these big platforms that have sort of driven a lot of disruption in the coaching industry where organizations have gone to them. Coaches haven't lost their jobs, which is just an interesting thing to point out. <laughs> But the organizations have gone to them because they have a real appetite to deliver coaching to people. But of course, you, you just can't do that. If you've got a, an organization of 50,000 people, how many coaches do you need to then individually source and administer and pay invoices to? And uh, it's just it's beyond anybody's ability. So you go to a piece of technology that's able to reduce the cost a bit and make it easier to manage, take out some of the administration it, it makes sense. So the, the platforms have grown over the last couple of years. The technology has made possible this ideology, sort of. 
because the cost of a coach is still, for most people really, hideously expensive. If you're you know, if your job is stacking shelves in a supermarket, the reality is you're not going to get access to a professional coach. It's just not what's not what's going to happen. So yes, there are options of training up internal coaches to be able to play a sort of quasi role that's helpful. But actually technology offers a different solution where if you can train an artificial intelligence tool to act in a way that is as far as it matters <laughs> doing some good coaching and you're able to make that accessible for people at a really reduced price when you compare it to a human coach most organizations that already have the appetite for coaching are going to think it just makes sense as i cannot see a future in which organizations don't adopt it because at least at a functional level they'll be able to say we're making coaching available to our people and this is what we're finding at, at culture lab so the the culture app that, that that's being developed and now being piloted in major retailers and professional services businesses in here here in the uk in particular um is 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 taking that digital non-human coaching approach price point as you say, you know, um, any kind of external coaching, whether a digital platform or not, is is probably hundreds to hundreds of pounds per month per person. That kind of scale, that internal coaching, where you're taking time of internal, relatively senior leaders to do coaching, is is going to be, you know, maybe fifty, sixty pounds per per session, one a month, something of that kind of scale. You can deliver some of these um, tech platforms where, where it's single-figure pounds per person per month, and that suddenly starts to get into the territory of Culture Lab's doing is designed to be, it could be shelf stackers, it could be people in, in a warehouse, it could be you know, people on a till in the store, but equally it could be an emerging and, and, and growing manager in, in the head office environment. So it's very much about, you know, I think with, with it's, it's an expanding spectrum now, where at the top end of the spectrum is one-to-one personalized coaching with a really experienced, you know, senior level coach who works with exclusively with high performance senior leaders. That's one end and that's super expensive. In the middle, you've got, you know, kind of uh, performance capability coaching from outside coaches or through these platforms. And then, you know, I, th- I think there's the, there's the AI part. And then there's also kind of coaching style, but not actually AI journeys. So, you know, um, I, I wrote about the idea of mindset, which is you start a chapter with some reflection on where you are, you go through, do some exercises, you answer some more questions as you go through. That's not in any way AI, it's print on a piece of paper, but it's taking the principles of coaching. And I think that there's so many coaches, and I really, really value this in the, in the, in, in the coaching community, so many people, that their passion is about broadening access to coaching. They go, this is a great thing. It should be, if it's possible to find a way to do it, accessible to the people who need it, who could be anyone from any walk of life in any part of the world, you know, um, and what are ways that we can get that out there more. When you're looking at the emergence of, and there's a lots of platforms out there now trying to use a chat GPT or a BARD or whatever, you know, to actually try and have a pseudo-pseudo coaching conversation. What, is the, what are the kind of opportunities and risks, do you think, of those kinds of platforms. What, what should users or buyers be be aware of if they're if they're thinking about those kind of AI platforms to have a pseudo coaching conversation? Um, 
Well, one particular angle on this, I'll just thank you for mentioning your book as a really great example of it, because you're right in that the book is not artificial intelligence. It's it's real intelligence captured on the page and then the person's engaging with it. <laughs> the The truth is, and you already know this, there'll be some people who have bought that book and have skimmed through the whole thing cover to cover and haven't done anything with it. And then there will be others who will have slowly gone, read the beginning of the chapter and done that exercise. And with each question, then they will have taken time to reflect. And those are the ones that will have gotten the most value from the book. It's, it's obvious. The, the false assurance that we can get from AI is that the scale it can reach is so great that when we say, oh, we've made that available to 5,000 people and therefore we've given coaching to 5,000, unless you're getting right into precisely how did they have those conversations, you don't really know what the value was that was experienced through that interaction. It would be like saying, I don't know how many copies of your book you've sold, but you know, I've sold 10,000 copies of my book. I've affected the lives of yeah, I've affected the lives of 10,000 people. And it turns out, well, if only 10 of them have actually slowed down and read it, the, the other, I can't do my maths now, 9,990 of them actually, you know, perhaps that was the cost that was required in order to change the lives of those 10, but is effectively wasted. And that's, that's definitely true of coaching, that the people who interact with coaching think, you know, is it that the biggest indicator of outcomes is coachee readiness? So to make coaching available to everybody within a store, for example, even if everybody accesses it, if all that they do is go on there and use the coach as a way to help them plan a birthday party, which I expect would be possible with most um, AI coach pilots, actually, they're not really getting the value from it, but it feels like they are because we've rolled out the tool and therefore it must be true. And when you've got a human delivering the coaching, there's something about them holding you to account. A good coach is going to bring that challenge and go, you're distracting from the topic. I thought we were talking about this. So I think, you know, the, you asked about opportunities and risks. I think the opportunities are we can reach more people than have ever been reached before by coaching. I think we can help save time, save costs, increase consistency, I said earlier, I didn't think I was, well, I don't think that I was a very good coach when I first trained. I think an AI coach in most cases will be better than I was. Maybe it's better than I am. I don't know, you know, it's who's to judge. But the risks then are technology changes. And so what you put in in the first instance might not be what you get out. Technology is sometimes not available. We talked about that before, you know, that when you access Zoom, sometimes Zoom just goes down or your machine insists on restarting. You know, there are issues that come with it. Data privacy. Goodness me. I mean, this is the, the hot topic for any coach talking about what can go wrong with technology feels like talk about GDPR and we'll be all right. And there's a huge amount of detail that's sitting behind that in terms of information security controls and the number of different components that are active. There's lots that potentially can go wrong, and that's without even thinking about the ethical side of it. So, it's a massive consideration. It's it's been very interesting for me in in the last six months or so, particularly thinking about you know taking the kind of codes of ethics that that a coach would have, and thinking, well, how does this translate into a into a pure digital world? And the idea is that you try and map as much of it as possible into the digital world. So you take the 
the the confidentiality of a human coaching conversation. You say, well, you know, if you're imagine you're having a chat with an AI coach, well, your employer shouldn't be able to see that chat any more than your employer should be able to access the content of your coaching conversation. But obviously, in technology, it's not obvious that that's necessarily the case. So you've got to you've got to hang your hat on some of these kind of things and say, um, you know, when we're going to make this level of data and information not 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 available. If you're building a, a journey and the employer is going, well, I want to know that everybody did their coaching sessions. Well, then suddenly your app on people's phones become a performance management tool, not a coaching tool. So, you know, I, I think it's really helpful, actually, that there are so many great frameworks about what good human coaching looks like that can inform our thinking about, you know, what what should the kind of pseudo regulatory environment around digital AI coaching look like so that it is still you know, good and ethical and for the user and, and all, all, all of these kinds of things. But of course, you know, you look at these sort of large tech companies and you know, the stories that come out from time to time saying members of the company were sitting watching people's, you know, I don't know, home videos or whatever it was. You know, it's, it's, it, people don't trust technology that much because of the, you know, probably rare but occasional situations where kind of data breaches happen, all this kind of stuff. I, th- I, I still feel that there will be kinds of conversations in coaching. Some conversations people will be very comfortable to have. You know, I'm having a conversation with my boss. Want to have a, you know, talk about a pay rise. What's three things that I could say to sort of set up that conversation? A chat GPT is going to do a pretty good job of giving you some ideas and maybe asking you some questions on it. But if you go, you know, I'm dealing with a, a very sensitive situation with a member of my team, well, it's much more nuanced, much more vulnerable, much more human. Um, it's much more difficult to see that that the AI is going to be able to do that well. However, I'm very mindful of the pace of change of these technologies. And, you know, what we've seen just in the last six months to a year in terms of the pace of growth and, 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 and evolution of the technologies, you know, do you think it's possible that two to five years time will will be, um, you know, a bit blown away by the capability of some of these AIs? Or do you think some of those limitations are more systemic in, 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 you know, that humans will always be able to stay ahead of the bots? I think two to five years is quite a long time frame given the speed of development. And I've said this before, I'll, I'll explain it again now just to sort of help it. I know that it's clear in my own mind. When we first used ChatGPT, it felt magical. And like magic, you know, literally magic. Well, how on earth is it doing this magic trick? And then now when we use ChatGPT, it's reasonably normal, actually. And it's quite frustrating. It doesn't get things right. Which, when we first used it, it felt like it got everything right. And yet, humans, it's still nice to meet humans. So that the magical nature of meeting a human hasn't gone away. Isn't that interesting? I've, I've known people for years and years and years, and I'm not bored of meeting them but I should be. I think in two years, I don't think that we will be at a point then where we're getting blown away by the next large language model because it will be relatively normal and there will be new sorts of technologies. So, you know, I I talk about technologies, the whole breadth of them. We've got the Apple Vision Pro coming out next year. And so immersive technologies are going to have a rise over the next couple of years i would have thought there's quantum computing being developed that will probably be a big thing in two or three years time we've got brain computer interfaces that's the sort of thing that will 
in five years time i think there'll be some things that blow people's minds the combination of ai and immersive and wearable technologies and the data we're getting from that with maybe some level of blockchain thrown in there as well you know there's a lot that's going on and there's a lot that we're not aware of you know you mentioned i've got this coach tech collective for that i've pulled together a monthly report and last month's report was 12 pages long and it's just my sort of bullet point highlights of this is a technology story that i think is relevant to coaching that's come out this month so the speed of change at the moment is difficult to keep on top of i think that's amazing so when you look at your business coach tech limited and you think about the kinds of things you're going to be being involved in and doing over the next 12 months what are the kind of things that you think will be part of your future well i think there's a, a lot of working with coaches to to support all of us as we think about what's happening in the world of technology because i've got this i've got this little idea in the back of my head is it fear concern i'm not sure what the right word is but that the future of the coaching profession has got lots of voices influencing it and the voice of the coach isn't particularly loud in it. We've got organizational buyers of coaching and technology providers. Between the two of those seem to have the strongest sway over which direction the profession goes. And I feel like I would love the voice of the coach, the voice of the professional bodies, the voice of the coachee to be getting raised in that sort of conversation. And I think step one is for us to get educated around what's actually happening so that we are speaking from an informed place. So I'm doing work supporting coaches, individual and um, through the community. And I'm working with organizations in two sorts of ways. One is to coaching providers to help them grapple with technology and make sure that they're doing it in a way that they tend to want to do it ethically and in a commercially sustainable way. And so I support with that and working with buyers of coaching and coaching technology to support them in putting in place strong governance ecosystems and quality assurance, impact monitoring, and all of that good stuff. Fantastic. How can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Uh, my LinkedIn profile is probably the easiest place to go to. I do have a website, but it's not very good. So I would just go onto LinkedIn. Um, I write a newsletter on there that uh, you might find interesting as well. And I love having conversations about this stuff. So. If you're listening and you're interested, please get in touch. Fantastic. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For Coach Tech thought leader Sam Isaacson, it was sitting in a talk and figuring out that he loved the topic of leadership more than the topic of IT that shaped his career direction right to the cutting edge of AI and coaching. Sam, thanks so much for joining me today on the unlock moment. Thank you for having me. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.